This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. What were you doing on this day a year ago when you learned about what was happening on Young Street? When a van mounted the curb south of Finch, mowed down innocent people, killing 10 and injuring 16. It seemed unthinkable, unimaginable in the city of Toronto. How did it affect you personally? 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. What did you do to deal with the sadness that everyone was feeling in the aftermath? Did you go to that Olive Park up at Young and Finch to visit the makeshift memorial, add your condolences, just extend uh, that humanity to those who'd lost loved ones who were dealing with injuries or the first responders? 416-360-0740-1-866-740-4740. Ten people lost their lives that day, and Mayor John Tory remembered them by name earlier today. Beutis Renuka Amarasinga, Andrea Braddon, Geraldine Brady, Sohee Chung, Anne-Marie D'Amico, Mary Elizabeth Betty Forsyth, Chulmin Eddie Kang, Ji-Hun Kim, Munir Abdo Habib Najjar, Dorothy Sewell. We will never forget those names. And those names really are representative of Toronto. Uh, you can hear the multiculturalism in that list of names from so many different cultures, so many different backgrounds, really a microcosm of what this city is all about. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Many helped that day, first responders, Good Samaritans alike, and are still affected by what they saw and dealt with that day. Tom Walker is a trauma therapist for Frontline Paramedics. He's also on the board of directors for the Trauma Practice for the Charity Healthy Communities, and he's on the phone with us. Hi, Tom. Hi there. This is a tough day. It's a, a very tough day. Um, brings back a lot of memories for a lot of people um, and, and makes this stuff so real. What were you doing that day? How did you find out? How did you react? Um, I, it was, uh, I was at, at my house and was just kind of hanging out. And when I heard about it and I got on the phone to check to see... Um, um, if any of our folks were being called in and uh, um, sort of was in a, a state of a little bit of denial, like this is really happening. Yeah. Even so, though I teach this stuff. Well, yes. How were how the paramedics doing, the ones who were treating the victims that day? Um, honestly, I, 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 I haven't uh, worked with those specific uh, folks Um what I heard was that they were treated well and they had the, the appropriate resources um, to connect and check in with. Because um, you know, typically if, if you you let this stuff seethe and, and sort of uh, you don't deal with it, um, it can become a bigger, bigger problem, um, yeah. i.e. PTSD, etc. 
I can remember uh, Libby's conversation with um, Mike Merriman with uh, Toronto Paramedics the day afterward, and um, he was talking about all the supports that are offered to them. They don't have to go back to work right away. The same with the Toronto police who are dealing with the arrest, that they're given the proper amount of time before they go back to their, their jobs as first responders. 100%. They're given, um, we call them an operational pause sort of a, a little bit of a, a space to um, either book off that day um, or or to um, take a little bit of time and, and um, do a little bit of a debrief and, and get get some support from um, a helper such as uh, the work that I do um, at Orange where I work. Tom, explain for us how a conversation with would go between you and a first responder who was on the scene that day and dealing with uh, the people on the on the sidewalks who'd been hit by the van well one of the things that i want to check in with for them is is how they're making sense of the situation um it's a horrible situation and um trauma is often how we interpret um what we're seeing and what's happening um, so, uh, I want to see, um, h- how they're making sense of it. I want to check in with them around if, um, at, um, right after, and then a little bit of time after that, like, uh, 24 hours after that, I'll check in. Are they having any intrusive feelings or, or, um, so intrusion means flashbacks, um, uh, uh, smells, sounds. That might be very triggering for them, um, bringing up fear, etc. Is there avoidance happening? Um, these are all symptomology of acute stress disorder. Um, and is there any kind of hyperarousal? So if they hear a horn or if they hear um, a car break fast, um, anything that might lead them to feel like um, they're in danger. Um, are they having intrusive symptoms of seeing, you know, patients, sorry for the noise, of patients who um, uh, may have had some horrific injuries? Um, are they coming back to them? And uh, then, then I'm going to work with them around those situations to try to discharge them. Would a lot of what you're talking about be post-traumatic stress disorder or variations of it? You mentioned acute distress disorder in your in your um, explanation there. Yeah, it's a, acute stress disorder is usually the first month um, um, after a traumatic situation, um, and you have about that, that about that time before it rolls into. Um, and, and I'm simplifying things. Mm-hmm. Um, this stuff isn't simple, but. Um, generally, you have about, uh, with acute stress disorder, you have about a month. And, and if you don't take care of things, it can become a much longer term um, situation that gets sort of situated in a person's body. And, and uh, so th- they get triggered all over the place and then PTSD starts to, to happen. Are the reactions similar among paramedics? Do they do they follow a certain pattern? Are you, you are mentioning sort of pattern-like symptoms, but is it different for every person and, and how they adapt and adjust to what's happened to them? Well, I, I find out a lot of times um, paramedics because they're um, they see and hear about this stuff a lot more. They they probably have a little bit more Teflon 
Um, they've been taught a little bit more about how to cope with this stuff. Um, and, and so they often have, theoretically, um, uh, a bit more Teflon, if you will. However, one of the problems sometimes with paramedics as compared to the general population is there's there was a time, and we're trying to shift that culture, where people weren't allowed to talk about their pain or their suffering, and they just had to put on their big boy pants and, and girl pants and get moving. Um, and so we're, we're trying to shift that culture for a lot of other people who may have never experienced any kind of trauma. Um, they, uh, something like this could be so debilitating that they have a hard time getting out of their house Mm -hmm. um, because they feel so unsafe. Well, this is a lot of what uh, is happening with the Ontario Provincial Police, right? They've had a lot of suicides, and they're trying to address that uh, by helping people earlier. 100%. The earlier you can help somebody with these kinds of symptoms, the the much better off they will be. Um, As well, the, the more... If you open it up so that people have a space to talk about it, um, much more likely to heal from it versus hold it inside, and it becomes much more contaminated. And the symptomology are, are pretty profound to the point where some people feel there's no other option but to, to leave the planet, die. You mentioned that first responders have a natural Teflon because that is their chosen career and they've been given a lot of training. We also know that on Young Street a year ago, uh, south of Finch, there were many witnesses and good Samaritans who were trying to tend to the people who'd been hit before the first responders got there. They would not have that Teflon that you're talking about. What happens to those people when they witness trauma like that? Well, for some people, that that can be the beginning of of, uh, acute stress disorder, which if they didn't reach out and get support um, by now a year later, um, they could be having intrusive symptoms, um, such as uh, flashbacks of the scenes that have happened, um, such as, uh, you know, uh, sort of reliving that when they they have what's uh, the flashbacks might be sounds it could be just feelings it could be smells and um, for them it makes it harder for them to be in a public space uh, because a public space which in Canada typically we thought of as safe um, has this it, it has forever changed their perception of how the world is. What kinds of, uh, a year later, um, and and realizing somebody needs assistance after witnessing or being a good Samaritan on that occasion, or, you know, we're going to come up in July to what happened on the Danforth with the shootings, same thing. Where can people reach out to? What, what kind of resources are out there? There is um, quite, a, quite a lot of resources. Uh, the Traumatology Institute is one of them. Um, there's some public services um, where people can go um, and, uh, and, and seek support. Uh, they, the, one of the, the biggest issues around trauma is that it's such a specialty that sometimes the, the free sur- services can support people with getting to the right places, but they 
don't uh, and and I'll use myself personally. I remember uh, you know 15 20 years ago when I was working for an organization um I had a lot of people who had trauma stuff, but if I tried to do that kind of work with them without knowing it, I could do more damage. Right. So so it's so important that they reach out to the right people um, and the right resources. Otherwise, they can sort of re-trigger people and, and make it more difficult. And one of the things that happens for people who have suffered from trauma is if they're in with someone who doesn't know the work, that well they can sort of have to relive that stuff they leave and they don't have the resources to be able to hold themselves together between sessions and so one of the things that's so important is that people know how to ground themselves and and if they're having flashbacks how to cope with it so that they they're okay in between sessions tom before i let you go you're running a special program today in mel lastman square yep tell us about that well, um, what we're trying to do is just give people some of those skills and some of those strategies um, in Mount Lassenden Square. We're trying to, um, if people are, have been struggling, invite them and offer them support systems through the Traumatology Institute um, that can um, help them to, to uh, move forward and, and be okay in the moment. A lot, of, a lot of times people who are having flashbacks or reliving difficult situations. They don't know how to cope with it. And uh, we're going to give them some strategies. Nice. Thank you for your time, Tom. Thank you so much. Tom Walker is a trauma therapist for Orange Frontline Paramedics. He's also on the board of directors for the trauma practice for the uh, the charity Healthy Communities. You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Jane for Libby. And coming up next, we speak with the friend of a woman killed in the van attack. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We're reflecting on the one-year anniversary of the van attack on Young Street, the 10 people who were killed, 16 injured, uh, the families of those people, first responders, good Samaritans, how many people were affected that day. And on the line with us now is Manjula Wick Ramaratni. She is a teacher and family friend of Renuka Amarasinga, who was killed in the van attack. Manjula, thank you so much for joining us on this difficult day. You're very welcome. And sorry for the loss of your friend. Uh, how are you making out a year later? Um, it is very sad memory when I think about it. I still see um, we just had a kind of a memorial for her in the temple, and I still see her smile. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's very painful to think about it. Tell us about Renuka's son. Um, he's actually in a good care with the um, friend that he, um, he has been taking care of from the beginning, the day that it happened. So he's in the same house, but I, as far as I know, um, there's a, uh, his dad is involved in with him now. So he's kind of happy to see his dad back in his life, and uh, they're working on the custody. And then you know that that's in the process right now with the court. Ranuka was a single mom, and she was a single mom, yes. and and the one son. And how do you pronounce his name? Um, who husband's name? No, the son. Oh, it's uh, Dion. Dion, and he's eight years old. Yes. And so he's living a little bit with his father and uh, with some yes. other family members as well? Yes. Like grandparents? Um, his grandparents and not the, um, not the grandparents, one of his um, 
mother sister and they see each other one of family friends so there are you know a couple of people who are involved in his life and, and to make sure that he's happy well exactly and how um you know when you're eight years old seven years old yeah. uh, what what is done for a, ch- a child of seven who loses a parent in a traumatic experience like that with no warning um no understanding really of how something like that could happen um, he's actually the child that I saw when Renuka was with him, and you know they came a couple of times to my house, and then they have been to other my uh, friends' houses too. He was very playful and careful. So after the incident that happened, it took him quite a while to process that, and then I could see that I did see actually he was very he became very matured, very kind of silent from the couple of months. Yes, I'm talking about last April to up to I would say up to summer. He was kind of he became quieter, and then I can see that he's processing, but he, in his talks or anything, he never mentioned. He mentioned at, at least, I think, I think a couple of times that he said, oh, my mom helped me to do this, and then he, it came back and forth in his mind. Yes. But now I can see again, he's happy to see his dad, and I can see the change from where I saw him, you know, in he was in April, May, June, July. And now I see him kind of faithful again. You know, he's playing with my son sometimes. They come to my house and I take him to Sunday school. So I see the change now. You know, I'm so glad that he he kind of, you know, dad came back to um, take him and then, you know, talk to him and then kind of, you know, integrating his, his life. So Right. And I'm sure he's encouraged to, to talk about his mom, remember his mom, uh, keep he, her alive, right? He is. Because um, one time we had, actually a couple of times we had, um, memorials and one time this that um, he yeah we, people talk about him and even me and his mother's sister you know we try to um, not to bring the memory back but try to like kind of see he, we want to know that who's his mother and then what kind of sacrifice that she did he's of course too little to understand but we are hoping that we can keep that memory with him. Manjula, um, remind us, because it has been a year, uh, yeah. about your friend, Ranuka, what she was like, what kind of person she was, how she's being remembered. She's such a, I'm not saying because, you know, she's my friend. She's such, such a lovely person that um, she she was living by herself with her son, but she was everywhere. Like, if you need her, if you even though if you don't need her, she'll be always with, involved with the community, especially with the temple. She's always there to support people. She's always smiling. And then it's, you know, how living with the thing, you know, in, in a single, like single mom's role, it's, it's hard to manage sometimes, but she manages everything. She did, she put every possible effort to, um, you know, make sure her son goes to everywhere. Like she was, he was participating in many, many extracurricular activities. And I don't know how she managed the money, but she did very well. Like she's extremely, extremely prepared person, I would say, because I think, you know, when you live by yourself, you always have the fear, what if yes. something happened to me? So she had that in the back of her mind. When she was talking to me, she always, like, she makes sure when she gets sick, she goes to hospital and she she doesn't delay anything. She's um, always on top of everything. And such a lovely person, you know, understands, such an empathetic person, understands people's feelings, very sensitive person, like, Knowing her, like I, I know her, like when she talked to people and she's such a sensitive person and always think about other people, think about family members, think about your parents. Like she treated my parents as if they were her parents. So I know how she is from, that's why I couldn't believe like when she was gone, I'm like, oh my, like 
Yes. That this had happened to her. So, Manjula, how are how is the community in the temple that you went to, that you still go to, and that uh, Renuka went to? How are people adjusting? How have they dealt with the trauma and the loss? They, you know, everybody's like it's, it's such a loss that will never heal. Always the pain will be there. Still, even like yesterday, we had a um, big yesterday. We had a kind of like monks, you know, gather. They um, kind of blessed her. Yes. And yesterday we went, we offered the food for like seven months and they blessed us all and things like that. So people still remember, people make sure that, you know, everything we could possibly do now to their family and the memory of Renuka will continue like many, many years from now. So people are very supportive, even like, you know, family, like friends that she had. She had many, many friends. None of them were her family. Like that's 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 amazing. Like when I see how many connections that how many memories that she has left behind. Yes. Even the temple monk was saying that she he was surprised too. He was shocked to see how much impact that she has created um, in the community. And then you know having such a lovely memory of one person, one single person that she created many memories in Jesus' life. So people still have a hard time to process that she's gone, and it's just like a dream to us when we think about. Even yesterday, we were thinking that. You know what she would have done if she was here. Yes. So it's just, it just, yeah. Well, I thank you. I thank you very much for honoring your friend on this one-year anniversary. Thank, thank you, you for so your much. time. Yeah, thank you so much for connecting with me. Thanks. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.